Welcome to the Off the Road Again podcast. My name is Chris. My name is Ross. And I am Adam. And this is our show about anything and everything off-road for like the 17,000th time the three of us have tried to do this now. <laughs> At least 17,000th like. time that we've tried to do it, but it's only show number nine. <laughs> yeah. so. so welcome back, non-flu-infected Ross. I think you and I have recorded multiple shows before this, but this will be the next one in line for the listener. Less so you're not, yep. you're not dead. You survived. No. Yeah. Survive the flu. See if I survive the rest. And it wasn't the coronavirus. <laughs> Seriously. I just said, see if I survive the rest. And as soon as I said, I was like, shit, now I'm, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, uh, too, and too superstitious. Also, we need to welcome Adam Shallow because I'll actually get his name right because I just Woo! said it again for like the 17th time. Previously from Blue Ridge Overland Gear, now with Adventure Imports, aka Max Tracks out in the desert. Yep. On Western Jeez. time. Pacific time now. Yeah, we're on California time since Arizona doesn't recognize the daylight savings time. Yeah, I had a, uh, I have a best friend who lives in uh, Salt Lake City. He and his wife and me and my wife sometimes go places together. Like we meet at destinations mm -hmm. and we did Scottsdale like, God, oh man, it's probably like five years ago now. But we did Scottsdale for like a long weekend and like and this time of year, like March, it was gorgeous. And mm -hmm. then daylight savings time happened and I, we were like, wait, are we supposed to do something? And they're like, no, right. the, the clock doesn't change. And it was the clock best stays. daylight saving time I've ever done. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't affect me in any way. Yeah, we lost an hour. Bummer. Yeah, it was not great here. With children, uh, we'll remind you more so how much daylight savings time sucks. Because <laughs> their, their internal clocks are not ready for any time change whatsoever. <laughs> I have to take your word for that. Yeah, you're just there'll come a point in time in your life and you'll be like, "Yeah, Chris said this and he was right." <laughs> Remember that time on episode nine? Seven hundred episodes later, go back and <laughs> yeah. think about episode nine. <laughs> or, or you just in this episode and you find out you have a kid on the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too real. All right. Uh, <laughs> Let's get right into talking about Bronco. It came out that Bronco Sport's going to go to market before Bronco, which kind of sucks. It kind of sucks, but it also kind of makes sense because as we'll allude to without actually talking too much about it, it's going to be based on Escape versus mm. Bronco Bronco won't be. So is, is EcoSport also based on Escape? Oh, God. EcoSport is based on a flaming pile of uh yeah i'm not gonna say the rest of that sentence because Thank i do you. want to maintain a relationship with ford so. I, say, I like i like my relationship with ford Thank you very <laughs> so much. Are, is there any information in regards to what motors they're putting in these because i would love to see the 2.7 ecoboost in the bronco so full-size bronco i think is getting the 2.7 ecoboost i think bronco sport is going to get the 2.0 four-cylinder ecoboost which I is basically the Fiesta motor or Focus motor, I believe. Pretty much. I think yeah. so, yeah. Okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the quote-unquote hotted-up version does get the 2.7. For the Sport? I mean, yeah. It'll fit. And just to be clear, know, the Sport is the two-door. Is that correct? No. no. So the Sport is the um, effectively... 
It's like, the renegade compass fighter. Yeah, it's the... Mm. It's the yeah. <laughs> I think it's a nice way to put it. But it's, it's the boxy version of the escape. Gotcha. It's the... Well, you... So why are they the calling it a Bronco? Uh, because I think Bronco in marketing terms is going to become like its own brand. Bronco in marketing terms is going to become its own cash printing business. Mm. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty interested in a two-door. I think they look really nice. I agree. I think it's going to be awesome. And especially yeah. if they put the 270 Ego Boost in there, that thing will fly. So I think the full... the, the the regular size Bronco is definitely getting the two seven because I think it was in the, the race truck down in Baja. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ford is known for doing that of putting up uh, an engine and a prototype truck, but not really having, you know, that it's a prototype truck. Yeah. Well, think about this. What if they do a Raptor Bronco? So then that that's a hippogriff. That's part horse, <laughs> part Falcon. That's Harry Potter joke. <laughs> oh. Yes, it is. Well done. That's going to be All the right. trick to have. Um, so if they put the coyote in the Bronco Raptor, what happens there? Black hole, probably a black hole. <laughs> yeah. No, that, no, it's no. Just, that's uh, when you do the voodoo. Voodoo would be the black hole. Ooh. It's mm. the dark magic. I just meant it from an animal standpoint. Uh, coyote engine. Oh, coyote bron Raptor. <laughs> coyote Bronco Raptor. It's too many carnivores. Fair mm. enough. <laughs> it's actually it's electric it's the uh, first electric bronco so that makes it a mustang bronco wait no maki no. bronco maki so it's a bronco mache so here's an interesting yeah. question what yeah. do you think the new bronco will do to the value of old broncos spike them spike straight so? through the roof oh, yeah. yeah oh yeah even the, even the Al Collins OJ Bronco, I think, will <laughs> will go up. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the last I heard about the price of that vehicle, it was like two hundred and fifty grand. Oh, for like the actual. Yeah, the actual Al Al. Why what's would his you want to own that? The one that was like in the high speed or low speed or whatever it was, speed chase. Thirty-five mile an hour. Right. Oh my god, that's that should be a museum piece and nothing more. I totally agree. It's kind of like the uh, Bonnie and Clyde car with all the bullet holes. Seriously. Yeah. Yep. No, it's a piece of vehicle history, and it's really important. Is I mean, it? Well, it's, it's pop culture, and I, I feel culture. like it's important. Yeah. Yeah, the I'll pop culture reference I'll give you. Yeah, I, I can see it. it. Like, it in its time period, yes, that was a reference we all understood. Like, Still understand. Yeah. I don't know how many millennials get it, but... Uh, like young millennials, like there's a lot of like thirty. There's a lot of thirty-something millennials now that we're all ignoring. It's true. That's I true. mean, I'm I'm 36 this year. Aren't I a millennial technically? Technically, yes. even though I don't identify as one. So if you're 30, if you're 36, you're borderline on what I am because I'm stuck between X and millennials. Yeah, it's like seventy-eight to like eighty-three, eighty-four-ish mm -hmm. is like a borderline. Or we're our own thing. That's so odd that they just labeled me, even though I I have nothing to do with any of the way millennials think. It's just so weird that they put a hard cutoff on like, oh, hey, you're going to be this generation. Yeah, like, there's that's, no. That's exactly like that's exactly what I have a problem with. And the other thing is, who put that cutoff there? Who said right. this is the way? 
What if you're one day on the other side of it? Yeah. Just behavioral scientists. Scientist, but yeah, not a well socialized scientist. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, get into Adam's background because he's the really yes. interesting one of the three of us. Eh. <laughs> you're not wrong. Because <laughs> he's he's owned more, more cars than Ross is years old. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's thirty-two cars. Shit, yeah, yeah. like that. Thirty-two. 30, <laughs> I can't remember. Did jet yeah. skis count? Sure. Uh, I mean, that's know. a titled vehicle, I guess. If it makes your number go up, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about the jet ski trailer? <laughs> that nope. I don't know. It's got to have. It's got to be <laughs> self-propelling. Yeah. At some point in a medium, it's got to move itself. Yeah. yeah. It has to and have an engine. From like wind, like Gra- gravity can't be the propellant force <laughs> of the trailer. <laughs> right. Uh, runaway trailer does not count as its own vehicle. So, so we've alluded to you now living in the <laughs> desert. Previously, <laughs> we're in Virginia. What were we doing in Virginia? Uh, Virginia, I was working for a company called Blue Ridge Overland Gear. I worked there for about two and a half years. They're located in Bedford, Virginia, kind of out in the country between Roanoke and uh, Lynchburg. Beautiful area right there in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, an excellent company to work for, and they make fantastic gear. Uh, all of their stuff is all American made, um, you know, and all hand assembled right there in Bedford, Virginia. And, you know, the warranty is lifetime, so you really can't go wrong. I've had my eye on an 80 series attic for like three years and I just can't bring myself to go throw the money because <laughs> I want it. I don't really need it. <laughs> in regards to organization, it's fantastic to have, especially if you sleep in the vehicle. You just reach up, put all your stuff in there. Uh, and it's really nice for sleeping bags, pillows, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I literally have. Yeah, I literally have two coats thrown in the back of the Land Cruiser right now that should be in an attic. <laughs> yeah, it's all that stuff you don't want to get dirty on the floor. Right. Uh, really okay. Nice. But yeah, Blue Ridge is pretty well established in like the Toyota off-road world, especially mm-hmm. you know Tacoma World and all the other sub Land Cruiser groups. You know. <laughs> Sure. I say sub Land Cruiser groups because I feel like the Tacoma World Group is enormous, and you know, what do you look for like with Landers? Like I hate mud, and those groups. Uh, that is uh, TLC. I mean, okay. really, I mean, the the Toyota kind of thing came to us uh, more than anything. They just recognized that you know we could make gear for them, and they started asking. And once people start actually asking for it at Blue Ridge, usually it comes about if there's enough demand for it there. And uh, there's certainly enough Toyotas in the Overland community, off-road community, <laughs> and in the world. So yeah. uh, it's kind of a no-brainer to start making stuff for at least Tacomas and Forerunners. Yeah. Makes sense. Sweet. All right. Just tell us. You got you to start with the XJ. It's yep. ridiculous. <laughs> All about the XJ. It's, I, don't, I don't know if it's like one of the i don't know how you define like the most well-built xj because that's such an opinion um but certainly from an overlanding standpoint and comfort standpoint my xj is what i consider Mm well-built um certainly well optioned because it's basically you know a livable (laughs) rv i bought it july of 2015 bone stock with a bad clutch uh, fixed that, completely rehabbed it, made it made it all shiny and pretty. And my my initial idea was to turn it around and flip it, make a thousand dollars or so. But I have a big heart, and <laughs> I love XJs, and I've owned five of them. 
Well, this one is the fifth one. Um, well, actually, it was the last the fourth one. I've owned a, I've owned a fifth one. No, I'm sorry. It was the third XJ I've owned. Then I've since owned two others. Uh, but I still have this one, and I will always have this one. This one I will prefer to be buried in. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> Big grave. <laughs> yeah, it's it started bone stock, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. I, I started uh, kind of building it into an adventure vehicle and then overland vehicle and and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, uh, my, my kind of idea behind it was to make it, one, the most well-optioned overland XJ in existence, and two, the most well-traveled. And I doubt it's the most well-traveled. I'm still working on that part. Uh, but certainly options, it uh, features a, a Mercedes turbo diesel engine, an OM617 out of an 83 sedan. It's and got, tell everybody the range that you're getting out of that. <laughs> uh, 27 miles per gallon with that uh, diesel engine, which is pretty amazing. I think it got somewhere around in the 30s uh, when it was in the sedan. Um, but I've got 410 gears, 31-inch tires, uh, and a five-speed. So it's it's pretty efficient as long as you keep the air filter clean. Yeah. Fair. Um, yeah, but it's it's also known for its legendary reliability. These motors are known for going about six hundred thousand miles before needing a rebuild if you take care of it properly, uh, wow. which means timing chain, turbo rebuild every hundred thousand miles. Uh, you know, seal it, uh, keep it clean, and keep the oil changed every three or four thousand miles, and you're good to go. That's pretty minimalistic for six hundred thousand miles, though. Yeah, I mean, you'll probably need an injection pump rebuild and injectors, you know, replace, you know, really the wear and tear items, the accessories, et cetera. Uh, but overall, yeah, they're known for going that far and that long and doing it reliably. The the saying with the OM617 is it will always get you home. <laughs> and that I was like that. The, the reason yeah. for the decision of putting that engine in uh, an XJ. Not only that, but also really wanting a diesel XJ because it's just one of those things you just kind of dream about and then you get it and then you're like yeah this is pretty good it's <laughs> it's never what you think in your dreams it's going to be it's you know yeah. it has its stupid crap about it but it's overall fantastic uh it's been super reliable i've put probably seven thousand miles on the swap now and uh hasn't given me one problem but the reason for that is i did a lot of preventative maintenance and then i've also got the correct adapter kit made yeah. it the transmission uh, Doomsday Diesel, who's a guy named Joe Peterson based out of Nebraska, makes the uh, um, the only adapter kit worth buying. There's another company, and I don't want to mention their name because, in all honesty, <laughs> I, in my opinion, they are frauds because uh, the kits that they make are so horrible. Um, but I've got the right adapter kit in there, and it's it's been super reliable so far. What was wiring like? Out? Because I know you said uh, the... Well, the, the OM617 uh, is a mechanical diesel, so it's very, very simple. Some people call it a one-wire diesel because they're just referring to the starter wire. Uh, but I think overall it took like maybe seven or eight total wires to get it to run uh, in the XJ. And it's it's really... I won't say it's a simple install because it's a front sump oil pan. We I actually had to have a friend of mine custom fab a rear sump oil pan for the motor to be able to clear the front axle, my steering, etc. So it's not an easy thing to put in an XJ, but with enough work, uh, it is possible. <laughs> That's, That's everything, right? That goes for anything. Enough yeah, work. Yeah, seriously. Enough money. Good blanket save. 
Yeah, time so and money. This was really the biggest hurdle. And in all honesty, I almost reversed gears uh, when doing the swap. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put a gas motor back in and enjoy the vehicle. Uh, once I ran into realizing that that front sump would not clear any of my steering or axle. Uh, so essentially what we had to do is create the rear sump oil pan and then lower my steering uh, back down to stock uh, basically angles. So I've got three and a half inches of lift on this XJ, but we lowered my track bar down three and a half inches as well as a three and a half inch um, drop pitman arm for my steering. And okay. successfully now that clears the, the oil pan properly because uh, the OM617 is just such a tall motor. Um, that yeah, it just it just makes clearance issues tough. And the Toyota guys that that do the same swap also kind of run into the same issues, but not quite as bad as I did. Hmm. I like the idea of the turbo diesel. I just I don't want to pay for it. It's <laughs> totally understandable. I think all said and done with uh, this swap for me. I've got about $7,000 into it, somewhere okay. somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And the part of that is because there was some experimenting. There wasn't a whole lot of information out there at the time I was doing the swap. And then also I I bought, you know, a first adapter kit, which did not work properly. And then, of course, right. the correct adapter kit, which was more than twice the price, but worth every penny. We have a, a local guy running an 80 series, and he has a, a 6BT Cummins in his uh, 80 series and it is but that engine is so big and so heavy that he had to go get special uh engineered shocks (laughs) coilovers basically yeah yeah Um, you know i think the 12 valve the four bts and and you know all those motors they're excellent motors they're extremely durable isn't a four bt a thousand pounds something like that they're heavy 900 to a thousand pounds whereas uh, you know, a four liter, you know, Jeep inline six or an OM617 is around 600, 650 ish right. fully right. dressed. So it's an incredibly, you know, it's a, a great motor, but it's incredibly heavy. And when guys say, yeah, I'm going to put a 4BT in an XJ, I'm like, do you realize how much weight that is on a unibody? Do you want to tear that thing in half? Because it absolutely will. I just see him standing on their nose. <laughs> like, it's just yeah, literally. Absolutely. I've seen a few TJs with four BTs, and it's like, oh, so it rides like garbage because you have to beef up the front end so much. Right. Yeah, and, and you've got to wonder. You, you've you probably got to go with something like those fluid-filled uh, motor mounts so it doesn't just vibrate your teeth out. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, let's ones, be honest, yeah. those motors are paint stickers for a reason. I mean, they're, they're known for, you know, just not being terribly balanced well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sound like a tractor motor for a reason. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little about Overland History. How'd that get started? So Overland History was kind of the the culmination of a couple of different things. I uh, originally, when I started, you know, getting into the four-wheel drive thing, right when I started driving, you know, at 16 years old, around 2000-ish, um, I got into a club called Tidewater Four Wheelers based in Virginia Beach, and they actually were handling all of the trail guiding for Camp Jeep which Chrysler, you know, corporation was putting on at the time for enthusiasts. And uh, luckily they were putting it on here in Virginia for, you know, majority of the years that they did it. I believe it was from 1997 to 2007. And I think one or two of those years was in the Ozarks, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, but needless to say, I did some uh, trail guiding, you know, with my club through Camp Jeep for Camp Jeep. 
so that's kind of where my guiding experience started. And, uh, you know, fast forward years later, you know, I bought this red XJ as an, as a, uh, overland build. And, um, you know, the goal was really just to, the, the initial goal was to make it the most popular and mo most well-traveled XJ there is. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I'm on my way to that. I, I don't know. It's, it's near impossible to say. I don't have any data to support any of that. Throwing uh, a turbo but, diesel in it has helped, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's certainly has. Possible. It's, it's certainly unique. There are other, you know, diesel swapped XJs out there that are, are well done, but I have not seen another diesel swapped uh, XJ Overland build. Mm. Uh, I've yet to see one. It's probably one out there, but... Um, they're mostly crawlers. Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty fair. And then there are some road queens as well that are just two-wheel drive. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, back to kind of the Overland history thing. Uh, when I got the Jeep in 2015, started building it and uh, <clears throat> actually, you know, realized, hey, I could start doing some guiding for the Overland community. I think there's a business there. And uh, really kind of, you know, started uh, taking people on, you know, trips in Virginia once the vehicle was... Mm -hmm drivable, a little bit built, certainly comfortable enough to camp in. And uh, that, that kind of came from, you know, my past experience guiding and then just wanting to kind of start a business with using the XJ as a marketing tool, you know, through social media. Right. And uh, it just kind of, you know, started out with taking people on free trips, you know, figuring out the guiding thing. I even went on one of Mountain State Overland's guided trips uh, just to kind of see what their template was, so to speak. Okay. And, uh, you know, just to get an idea of how exactly it works, uh, you know, at least within the Overland community. And, you know, I kind of I took some of that information and kind of made some of it my own and, you know, changed it and, and that kind of thing. And that's really how uh, Overland history kind of became a guide service is just mm -hmm. through having fun on social media, sharing my adventures in the XJ. And then... Being that I'm in Virginia, I'm also a big fan of history. So, you know, Virginia is like the melting pot of history. Uh, so I figured, you know, while I'm using the XJ as a marketing tool, why not drive around and, and find historic places, take a picture of the Jeep at that historic place. That way it proves that I'm there because let's be honest, nobody wants to just see a picture of a historic building. That's right. kind of boring. But when you put the XJ <laughs> in there, it's like, oh, he was there. And then I usually write some information, uh, you know, I, I knit, uh, kind of pick out the most interesting parts of the history of the place that I visit and post that on uh, social media. And it's it's been well received, to be honest. People seem to enjoy it. They, they enjoy that, you know, it's adventure travel with a purpose rather than just, uh, hey, look at me play with my toys online. Right. Which, you know, that that was kind of the thing is like the, hey, look at me playing with my toys online gets old really quickly. If yeah, you don't have any premise, you don't have anything interesting, you don't have a draw that keeps people coming back. And mm -hmm. and really, that's kind of what Overland history is and, and what it's become. And, uh, you know, currently, being that I just moved from Virginia, Arizona, I technically lost a lot of clients, but I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> hoping to, uh, you know, kind of gain some more and get Overland history back up and running here in Arizona as a guide service. Um, because there's there's so many places to, places to see and just great places to go that... Uh, and history too. I, that yeah, I, new aspect of history to focus. Right, on. absolutely. There's you know plenty of old mining and ghost towns out here to explore and you know show the history of. And um, I'm really looking forward to the history part. I think more than anything, just because that that's what really truly interests me. Yeah, I think uh, 
uh, last episode, Robbie and I both talked about Robbie DeGraff, uh, about our Midwest educations and how there's always a constant push to go West because that's all we study when we're kids is pioneers and what's going on and things like that, that sure. Look, looking back East for us, that was like civil war history is all we ever really got. Mm. Once any other time period after that, it was just the pioneers and westward expansion and the Monroe doctrine. So like, to me, I liked, I, I appreciated watching your trips through social media, seeing parts of the mid Atlantic region that I wouldn't know normally have seen. And I'm also pretty sure a hundred percent that we were both at camp cheap at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very, very possible. I, uh, I think I was, a I was a trail guide for two or three of those years. Um, somewhere between like, I think the first camp Jeep I went to was either 99 or 2000 went with my dad. And then the next year I was able to bring my XJ, which was just the most fun experience of all time to be a new driver, learning to drive off road rather than, you know, just on road. Right. Uh, It was just so much fun. And, and, uh, you know, some of my first off-road experiences were, was in Virginia beach, you know, on power line trails, places you're not supposed to be. Right, yeah. exactly. You're dumb and, and tread lightly is the furthest thing from your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go out to these, you know, just ruts on a power line trail and you're not really tearing things up. You're not running over trees or blazing new trails. You're just going to kick a little mud up on the, on the paint, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's all it was. That was, you know, pretty harmless fun, even though it was technically trespassing. I, it's one of those things I kind of <laughs> look back and you laugh at, but you know, it's it's a poor example to do those things nowadays. So right. Now you have the entire desert just outside your door, though. Like seriously, there's so much more public land for you. Right? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, this past weekend, I uh, went I went south and took a trail out of Prescott called uh, Senator Highway, which leads into National Forest and turns into even smaller trails and just kind of spiders out into the I think they're called the Bradshaw Mountains south of here. Mm. And uh, actually ended up meeting up with my friend Chris Cordes of uh, Expedition Portal Overland oh, Journal. Yeah. Name drop. Yeah, his girlfriend, Brittany, they were in her uh, uh, Mercedes or Dodge van. It's actually a Mercedes drivetrain. Um, met up with them at a really interesting place called like the Cleeter something Yacht Club. It's in the middle of the desert. It's, it's absolutely hysterically funny. So it's a lot of like UTVs and SUVs kind of come in and out of there. It's in the middle of the desert, but you walk through it. It's a really hole in the wall, divey bar where you sign dollar bills and tack them to the wall. Awesome. Um, so and then you walk out back and it's kind of got a lounge area with like old jet skis and old boats and surfboards, just junk sitting on the ground, but they call it so a yacht rare. club. It is the most <laughs> charming place. I absolutely loved it. It was, it was so like a good time. Stay. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, you I don't, bad don't time see place stuff like, like that. that in Virginia ever. So to come out here and see something like that was just so cool. Right. Yeah, the American West is still a little bit different. It's That's, it's still a little wild. bit wild. It is yeah. still a little bit wild. And, and you know, Arizona is a pretty conservative state, which, you know, I can totally appreciate. Uh, you know, I didn't realize until today that they don't even have concealed carry laws here right. for guns, which I thought I, I had no idea. I thought that was pretty interesting. Apparently, it's just a constitutional right, which yeah. maybe it should be everywhere. You just do it, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It's just, it's, it's. The, I mean, apparently, according to most people that live out here, just don't infringe on my rights. That's all that they ask, and I don't think that's too much to ask. But not, not to get into the politics, but it's just <laughs> the contrast 
from East Coast to West Coast, right. you know, uh, in the in the short two weeks that I've been out here. Yep. It's very different. Right. Yeah, very much so. But I tell you, this is the one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, we actually, when I met up with Chris and Brittany, we actually drove into Sedona. And in my opinion, Sedona is more beautiful than the Grand Canyons. You know what? I said what I said. <laughs> and and I, that's, it's just my opinion. It doesn't really matter. It might not even be true, but I think <laughs> it's more beautiful than the Grand Canyon. So that's at Overland History on Instagram if you want to yell at Adam about whether <laughs> message, fire away. And what was the name of the town you went up to northeast of Prescott that you were telling us about on, on the uh, trial run recording? Um, it's northeast of Prescott. Yeah, the uh, place you was, uh, had said you had just gone, just gone, like, right before that. I'll be able to find it on Google Maps in, like, two minutes. Hang Okay. <laughs> um, 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 where was it? Uh, my, my brain is mush. I worked all day, so. Touche. Um, Touche. Yeah. Uh, where, where did I go? It was just north of Prescott. It, it was, was uh, a staff north of it. it oh, Jerome. With Jerome. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. That yeah, it was total brain fart. So yeah, I, tr I traveled into Jerome, and Jerome is like literally a mining town built into the side of a mountain, and it is incredibly charming. It is. It reminds me a lot of uh, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, okay. which is basically where West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland meet, where two rivers converge, the Shenandoah and the Potomac. And you know, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, is kind of built into the side of a mountain, and Jerome reminded me a lot of that. Hmm. Uh, but it's super scenic, absolutely beautiful. I think Jerome itself is around 5,000 feet, and you're looking down into, you know, basically the desert, down into, uh, you know, flatland. And then if you look off into the distance, you can actually see Sedona from Jerome. Holy shit, really? Sedona is beautiful. Oh, my right. God. It's, it's just spectacular. It's like not even real. You really start to travel between these cities. It gives you a really interesting perspective of where exactly they are. Uh, when you're kind of between them. Yeah, I can't, I, we've been out to the Phoenix a couple, three times and for whatever reason, I cannot wait to get back to the desert. If there's just something about that place, it's a little different. And we did, we, when we went to Scottsdale, we drove up and went to the Grand Canyon and we stopped in Sedona and I, I, it's, it's a gorgeous place, but for something I've seen in pictures and video my entire life, Mm -hmm. they've never, never captured the actual size to me. Oh, I totally agree. Like, I, I've seen a million pictures of, of being out here. And I, I mean, I've been out to the Grand Canyons before. Last time was 1997. Uh, but, yeah, once you actually are out here as an adult and you just see these places that you've only, one, seen in movies, seen in pictures, seen in video, uh, it's almost like driving through a movie constantly out here. Yeah. It's so absolutely beautiful. And I mean, you could do a 360 and there's nothing that's poor to look at. Everything is gorgeous. Um, I have my first desert west trip planned for next month. So you, this is selling me even more. Dude, <laughs> Everything's booked. The trip's ready to go. absolutely have to visit Sedona and Jerome. They're, those are two just absolutely amazing yeah. places. Yeah, they're, they're too far for this trip, but I do hope to do more of an Arizona trip at some point. Well, even if you did just New Mexico, New Mexico's gorgeous too. Yeah. Anything, anything from twenty miles west of Amarillo, Texas, west <laughs> is awesome. 
it was yeah. it was kind of funny when I drove out here initially from Virginia. I got through Amarillo, and I'm like, yeah, this is uh, definitely an oil town. And then I got 20 miles west of Amarillo, and I crested a hill. And once I crested that hill, my eyes got massive because yeah. it was just all beautiful oh. desert. It was gorgeous. And uh, yeah, Air, uh, Mex New Mexico is a gorgeous state too. Be being so out there state. though, like I went, I went to a, a Ford Escape launch, like when they brought out the the newer Ford Escape, mm -hmm. like not a very compelling vehicle to take pictures of, <laughs> but <laughs> sitting it in the Arizona desert across the crown of a road is one to me is one of the best. Like it looks like it belongs as a press photo, but it, nope, yeah. it was just me with my crappy Canon camera. Because at the time it was not as nice as the one I shoot with now, but <laughs> it 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 is a perfect landscape. I think. I agree. I don't want to. I don't want to live there full time. I'm sorry, but I want to visit regularly. I, I think if you did live here full time, you'd absolutely love it. It would feel like home. And it's kind of funny. I've only been out here. He says after two weeks. <laughs> I've literally been out here dead on two weeks, and it, this is already starting to feel like home. It's really interesting. It's pretty funny solid. how that happens in certain places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you have to like the place. It has to qualify in order to uh, make it home. Yeah, I did three years in Florida after college, and it never, never, never felt like that. So, Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think Florida's the other thing is, like, everybody's very friendly out here and accommodating. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's what I found. It's it's just, I mean, people hold the doors open. They say thank you, yes, sir, no, sir, all that stuff. It's, it's What is that like? <laughs> right right yeah i just i'm so used to kind of you know not rude people but not this kind or friendly and maybe it's because prescott is is not a huge place uh it's a little bit smaller but um i don't know it's an interesting perspective i totally didn't expect it see yeah. what you're what you're describing to me is what i think most of the midwest thinks of ourselves as too yeah. If you, if you show up, yeah, we're going to smile, we're going to say hi, we're going to be polite. But. I like how you left that at Midwest and you didn't say like anything about New England because mm. let's be honest, some of the people up there are very grumpy. Hey, oh, I lived in Florida for three set. years. I've met them. Yeah, yeah you have. No, those that's are, very true. I don't want to say my people, but those are the people that I interact with most, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, so. I've met some of the nicest people in the world from New England, but... Every now and again, you'll get those people that, and I've had a lot of interesting conversations with, you know, and I'll, I'll say specifics, New York and New Jerseyans. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it's, you know, some of them, it's, it's kind of interesting. The people that, uh, it, they, they almost have to, like, argue with you or fight with you, and then they're there's on your side forever. Yeah, they're there's like there's, it's like an yeah, initiation of hazing or something like that, where <laughs> it'll be really nasty to you. And if you if you stand your ground, then you're good with them. If you don't, they're going to keep running you right over. You're 100 percent accurate. Like <laughs> there's definitely a steamroller effect for people here where you kind of have to like prove who you are. Right. You know? And if like you can't keep up, then, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's survival of the fittest up there. It's it's a brutal area. I, why do I live here? I don't, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't I, think any I of us can New York and New Jersey. Just, I mean, there are nice places in both New York and New Jersey. Upstate 100%. New York is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, uh, yeah. Western New Jersey has a lot of nice places to explore. Yeah. Southern, eastern New Jersey. It's nothing like what the, you know, the stigma of like North Jersey. Mm -hmm. Huh? 
That's right. Right. Yeah, the 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 yeah. accent and the uh, <laughs> I think some of the worst roads I've ever driven were in New Jersey, specifically Union City. <laughs> Union City. Oh God. Well, if you think that's bad, I, I dare you to go to Staten Island. Oh no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so Boy, the desert. <laughs> Yeah. I will stay my ass out oh. west here. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so we're way the hell off topic here. Adam, so why don't you tell us about some of your other 4 by 4s that okay. you've owned? Well, hold on. So I've definitely owned more cars than 4 by 4s but I love the 4 by 4s a lot more. I've owned five Cherokees and a Comanche, and I've also had a Land Rover Discovery 1. Uh, that was a 96 uh, SE7 5-speed. So it had the R380 transmission, which was kind of unique because it was it was all the options but with a 5-speed. So it was kind of a, a bit of a unicorn black with a tan interior. And uh, I bought that thing for 1800 bucks in northern Virginia with a check engine light, and it had a misfire. Drove it home, uh, switched, to, switched to wires, and uh, it ran perfect. Can't be that. It only had like I think 101,000 miles when I bought it, if I remember correctly, and it ran great all the way up until I traded it for a Porsche 914. Yes. And tell us about the 914. Oh, so that that was my second Porsche 914. I already I bought one in 2006, a 1975 Laguna Blue white interior, very rare with the white interior, uh, two liter car. And uh, it was a car I've always wanted. My dad owned an original 914.6. I saw pictures of it as a kid. He loved that car, talked about it very fondly. And I just had to have one. Uh, I always wanted a 914. I just thought they were cool. The 914.6s at that point were out of reach by the time I was driving. Already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, brought, they only made like 3,300 of them, I think, for the U.S. from 1970 to 71. And uh, they're just, I mean, they're at this point, they're like $150,000, $175,000 cars. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, the four cylinder was still affordable. You can get those, a really nice car for five to seven grand. So I found a nice one for uh, 7000 got based out of Maryland, um, drove that car home, and, you know, had that car from 2006 to 2013. And doubled my money on it. Bought it for seven, sold it for fourteen. Good deal. So that was the first nine fourteen. The second one uh, was I traded my Land Rover for it. That was a nineteen seventy one one point seven liter car. So it was a really early car, but it was in really good condition. Um, had under under seventy thousand miles on it. Uh, it was kind of surprising. It had a little bit of rust issues just from sitting. But a uh, great car. I got rear-ended really hard in that car nine weeks after buying it. Oh, lucky. Uh, yeah, I got rear-ended by like a guy in a Mercedes convertible that just was not paying attention. Uh, that landed oh. me in four months of physical therapy for my back. Oh. And I turned around almost immediately and bought another 914 out of Detroit. Uh, flew into Detroit and was going to drive the car home. When I got there, the car wouldn't start. It was a Chevy 305 swapped, uh, 1975 Porsche 914. Oh, and that car was an absolute animal. Uh, extremely fast. Don't say. About 70 miles an hour. It just pulled like a freight train. Um, I Since I couldn't get it started when I flew into Detroit, I actually towed it home with a U-Haul. Ended up replacing all the injectors. It was a Chevy 305 tune port injection 
So it had the TPI on it from, you know, basically a late 80s, early 90s Camaro is what we think the motor came out of. Uh, I believe it was an early Renegade swap back when Renegade first started doing business, um, you know, for the V8 swap Porsche stuff. Uh, Renegade hybrids or whatever they call themselves now. What's that? Renegade hybrid. Do they call themselves Renegade hybrids or is it just Renegade customs? I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't kept up with that company in quite a few years now. Um, but I, I believe Canadian they do still exist. I'm pretty yeah. sure they do. Coyote and a Cayman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Uh, fantastic motor. Um, but anyways, that car was a lot of fun, and I actually ended up nine weeks after buying that car. I was driving home from uh, work one night. It was raining really hard. I was on the highway doing 55 in a, in a 65. Sad story. Rear end sad. stepped out on me, and I was along for the ride into the Jersey Wall Nosed, uh, nosed into it at about 20, 25 miles an hour. Unfortunately, destroyed the front end of the car. You know, after the rear end stepped out, there was nothing I could do about it other than two feet in, try to slow it down as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, ended up, you know, basically selling that car for parts. I think somebody cannibalized it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that I don't think I should own another 914 because I, uh, I clearly have a history with them. <laughs> <laughs> In a span of four months, I wrecked two of them. One one of that, which was really not my fault. The other one, I just couldn't uh, Well, then the next one could just be a rally car. Well, the problem is the 914s yeah. are, are expensive now. They if you buy a nice one, for example, the one I sold in 2013 for 14 grand, my guess was that's now a $40,000 car, maybe more. Holy cow. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're just they the, all the four-cylinder cars have gone up crazy in value. So Baja bug then. Yeah, yeah. You know, VW stuff is really expensive, especially the old air cool stuff. Yeah. It is not cheap by any means. Whereas ten years ago you could you could restore a bug for a couple grand. Right. Um, mm. so Miata we don't care about then? I, I like Miatas, but I've owned a Honda S two thousand, so I don't really want to go backwards. Yeah. There's still a uh, no, pedestal on. with an yeah, S2000 yeah, on top of it. Fantastic cars, but if I was going to own one, it would need a Coyote V8. Oh, man. That would be a fun way to die. Yeah. <laughs> swap I've seen for a Miata was the uh, Hellcat motor, which is basically, oh, yeah. which is basically you, you strapped four wheels to a motor. Yeah they, yeah, they crashed that car recently. Yeah, I saw that. I think somebody unex- uh, inexperienced got behind the wheel. Yeah. Which is terrible. No shock to anybody who no, <laughs> saw that happen. But, but um, I don't know. After this, after this most recent diesel swap, which really took it took a year and a half, you know, to get that thing in the XJ. Oh, wow. I'm kind of tired of swapping, if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> no, one hundred percent. It's so it. much work. It's so much dedication. It's so much thinking. It's a commitment. And to be completely honest, uh, the, the, the car that I'm looking at now, because I'm only down to one vehicle, whereas I'm used to owning two to three, because uh, I sold my other XJ before I moved out to Arizona, I'm looking at Mercedes E55 AMGs. Right. I only get them from 97 to 2001. I'm sorry, 2002. Um, and basically, it was the direct competitor to the E39 M- M5 BMW. That's right. Hmm. Um, it's got 350 horsepower. It's a 5.4 liter V8, 391 foot-pounds of torque in a four-door sedan. And really, I'm looking for comfort and fast. And I think yeah, that's... It does both of those. 
And you can totally buy them all day with 100, 120,000 miles on them under $10,000. So in my opinion, it's kind of the perfect yeah. cruiser for me. And I'm really starting to like fall in love with older Mercedes. Okay. Were they subject to the biodegradable wiring harnesses or was that after that period of 90s Mercedes? I think it was, I think they were post that. Okay. Um, reason being is I'm good friends with a master tech that knows the cars well. And he said these things have a bulletproof drivetrain. Okay. Noted. The only thing they eat are like ball joints. Yeah. And I think there was like one other thing that was just basic wear and tear items. Not, not really a big deal. Not a deal breaker yeah. by any means. Are they press? No, the ball joints. Mm, hold on. I've never actually had my hands on one of these cars. They only made 4,000 of them for the U.S. So they're reasonably rare. Um which I also kind of like too. I like stuff that, you know, there weren't a whole lot of them. And the other thing about that is they have quad headlights. If you look at the front of an E55, that was the generation of Mercedes with quad headlights. And if you look mm -hmm. at my XJ, you know, I love quad, quad headlights. headlights. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the same it thing. Sweet. There's a 2002 E55 AMG on my local Craigslist for $3,000. Well, <laughs> how many miles? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this is an AMG car. See, that's that's going to be an issue. Yikes! How many how many cars look like they have the right wheels, but whether they're not, they're actually the correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had the uh, I forget what they call those wheels, but uh, they're actually really beautiful AMG wheels. Yeah, I like them. I'm I'm still searching between Suburbans and uh, Expedition Extra Longs. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I, re I remember us talking about that now. So yeah. the, the Extra Long, you said, has like an extra 10 or 12 inches of wheelbase? Yeah, it's a longer wheelbase, but then uh, we it brought up the 543 valve, and I'm probably going to run away with my hair on fire. Yeah, nothing like getting spark plugs stuck. Yeah, yeah, they're known for breaking the spark plugs off in the head, and you have to have a special extraction tool to do that. Uh, but really, the way to try to avoid that is get the motor piping hot and then do your tune-up. Or, or don't just buy not one of those engines. <laughs> or, just, or just avoid it altogether, true. I think that's where I'm heading. Uh, I mean, when the Triton motors are running, they run really well. Yeah, when they're they running. have to be running. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a caveat there that might yeah. be more work than it's worth. So yeah. my, my only other update I have is that I'm, uh, I've got some LED headlights on the front of the Land Cruiser that I'm thinking about taking off because I'm not as big a fan of the way they look. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> oh, y'all will totally appreciate this. So guess what I got a chance to ride in today? Uh, Baja buggy. Nope. Uh, it's an 80 series. Okay. It is a right-hand drive diesel Ooh, ADM so H truck. HJ? I guess it would be an HJ. I think so. Does H that make it, a, is it? Is it an 8.1? I don't know. Needless to say, it's the turbo diesel. It's got a factory snorkel. It's oh. on 34s. Uh, it's a beautiful truck. It, it belongs was, to uh, Matt Scott. But, it was uh, one of those on Bring a Trailer recently that I was looking at. It's like, hmm. Yeah, you know, the 80s are, are going up in crazy in value and being that this is a, a rare model, being the turbo diesel, uh, you know, and it's it's been played with a little bit, so it puts out a little more power than the original. I can't remember the designation of the motor, 
but needless to say, it's a rare truck and it's really, really nice and well sorted. That's really so cool. I think, I think it's just an HJ80 or there's an HZJ80. If what it's the, the same body style. Yeah, it may have been, but um, yeah, it's been a while HJ. since I rode in a uh, right-hand drive vehicle. Yeah, the HJ is the diesel and then the HZJ diesel is from 90 to 98. Hmm. I think this Freaking one is awesome 91. Okay. If I remember correctly, it's a 91. Hmm. Oh, that was a long-range automotive <laughs> website that I was looking at. So I'm getting gas tank breakdown, which is not super helpful awesome. to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's definitely a, a right-hand drive market vehicle for sure. Yeah, yeah. Those things are crazy valuable. Now, I think those are going to be one of those really expensive classic four by fours that will be out of reach for a lot of people probably within the next five years yeah i think i'm already out of reach on a h said one troopy yep yeah yeah a little bit <sighs> especially if i wanted to be left-hand drive <laughs> right good luck. but it'd fit all the kids yeah. did they ever put a five speed in the 80 series um not that i'm aware of huh That's i wonder if there was foreign market availability I know uh, that you can aftermarket swap them, but I'm not sure if a manual ever actually came in an 80. I, when I put in stuff for like parts lookup, it's only ever the four or five base and there's only ever one transmission option. Gotcha. Uh, what about LS3 T56 in an 80? What's up, 15 grand? Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> yeah, but that thing I mean, would be so well sorted. With oh, that. yes. So it, my answer is also yes, but yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just got to win the lottery first. Right. Oh, I would definitely do that. Yeah. Same LS three and pretty much anything. My car. Ooh. All right. I think we're, uh, we're wrapping up tonight. It's, uh, almost tomorrow for Ross. Oh boy. Um, it's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot you're, uh, you're three hours ahead. Yeah, Adam's yeah. in the past right now. <laughs> we, we, we have expanded across the entire country tonight for all the time yeah. zones, really. Yeah. Because mainly because Adam flip flop Mountain and Pacific, so he counts as both. Yeah. Well, I'm go. stuck on Eastern, so unfortunately, yep. looking at the so clock. You, you can read what we write on Hooniverse.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OverlandingDad. Ross is. I'm still not no like the one from Friends. And Adam, we'll have to send you the article that's going live on Hoodiverse tomorrow once it oh, goes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, if you want to shoot me a message or email it to me, I'll, I'll definitely read it. Chris is I both don't, I don't, very excited and also slightly mortified that this is going I don't, to get I don't know. <laughs> See, I don't know Adam's sense of humor well enough to understand how he would receive this this interesting article i don't even i think interesting is unfair to it this this brain fart of an article that happened yeah uh, what's what's it about can you give me a premise can, um, um can i say one word well this will this will come <laughs> out after the article's live so you can say whatever you want this isn't going oh. until like thursday so well it starts with v and rhymes with vasectomy <laughs> <laughs> oh god so it, it went through the Slack channel, and somehow we got to me, and somebody said, well, we should write the car enthusiast guide to one. Uh, this is how you know you've got a group of, like, 
<laughs> like 30-ish and 40-ish year old guys talking about stuff non like bullshit all day. Well, my, my comment to that was we just need to brainstorm a little more on that. That might be a viable idea. And he Peter thought it was a it was a good joke, but he was like, no, we're not actually gonna do anything with that. And next thing you know, we had an article. <laughs> so is buying a V6 Mustang convertible automatic a prerequisite to a vasectomy? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh dagger. Oh, but uh, so was, that, what, was that too harsh? No, I mean, no, it's accurate. But like, because I've I've got other cars too. What would what was discussed Hello, was convertible what, what would be the perfect vehicle to ride home in? Like, <laughs> oh, height, height was part of it. Uh, suspension smoothness. I don't want to ruin Jeff. Jeff had the perfect answer. I ended up uh, using a. Uh, to me, like a GM pickup with a bench seat, so so I could just kind of slide right into it. So as tall as I am, I didn't have to really bend my body up or down. And then having the bench seat, I could just kind of manspread and just maintain to get home. I've got one better. So we'll do a minivan. It doesn't matter which one because they're all nice. With all the seats <laughs> taken out of the back and an air mattress. <laughs> with yes. yeah, water bed. Said match, water bed. Yeah, waterbed. Waterbed. Oh my god. Just let me lay there. (laughs) Maybe an iced waterbed. Yes. That was and so that was my joke at the end of mine as I spent a couple of days in the basement on the couch, literally alternating between ice packs and bags of frozen corn. I can only imagine. (laughs) I I would never be brave enough to go through that, to be completely honest. It's it it was a necessary thing that had to happen otherwise. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) <laughs> more kids <laughs> necessary evil uh we grew i grew up catholic we can't do anything else uh, <laughs> uh i think it's definitely time to end tonight on that <laughs> <laughs> adam's uh, like what the fuck did i get myself into <laughs> oh no these are great conversations are we gonna leave this in because i think we should oh, oh yeah i'll stay in yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah man anything it. goes perfect <laughs> i i checked the e-box we're okay nobody's complained until the two episodes recorded tonight go out yeah that might that might adjust something well let's also hope that we actually recorded this episode it's still it's still going i'm still getting good numbers and things so it does still say chris is recording call me trying to figure out how to get just the audio stripped out of it now so perfect all right all right thanks for joining us adam yeah, yeah, I appreciate you having me on again. Let's do it again soon. We'll see you guys oh, yeah. next week. All Sounds right. Sounds good. All right, y'all take care.